Welcome to the Olefins Weekly Wrap-Up. Today is Friday, April 28th, and I'm your host, Luca Powell. And I am Pablo Giorgi. And together, as Chemical Market Analytics, we recap the top events moving the ethylene and propylene markets over the past week. The design of this podcast is to complement the content from the North America Light Olefins Weekly Service, otherwise known as the NALO Weekly. So I was pretty surprised to find out that last weekend London had hosted the International Pokemon Competition, which I didn't know was a thing, but there was quite a bit of a buzz in the city about that. So that's where you try to capture as many Pokemons as you can, right? Exactly. I'm not sure how that uh, configures in the International Pokemon Competition, but it does. Um, but speaking of capturing, carbon capture is a hot topic today, and we have captured our expert on all things carbon for this week's episode. Our special guest today is Steve Lewandowski, Global Vice President for Olefins here at Chemical Market Analytics. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thanks, guys, for having me, and it's really a pleasure to be here. So, Steve, could you please tell us a little bit about how modeling carbon emissions can be helpful for our clients? Yeah, this this is definitely a, a big topic for uh, for the world uh, these days, and and really, when I look at it, it's really about assumptions, and I think it's really about what it is not. That is just as important as knowing what is it is, and assumptions really frame what's going on. So, really, our ultimate goal is to bring you know, the full power of our chemical market analytics cost price margin work and our supply demand trade modeling, you know, our detailed oriented global anal analysis, if you will, to the carbon economy. We wanna understand emissions, cost structures, policy interpretation, really a deep understanding to support our petrochemical industry clients. And Steve, um... So, as you mentioned, you know, it's a highly complex uh, issue and, and multifaceted and, you know, understanding what it is and what it is not. So what's the best way to break it down? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And, and we've been deep diving this for the last couple of years, trying to really get our arms around it. And I, I think the best way to look at it, you know, carbon emission space in general is kind of four distinct pillars. You know, and each of those pillars have their own evolution and you have to track the ebbs and flows between them. So those pillars consist of policy, you know, how are governments uh, pushing uh, laws and enacting laws? What's going on in the process itself? Where are the emissions coming from? Uh, a bit about price and cost. You know, there's some quotes today in the market, but it really is about forecasting and understanding where these prices or this cost structure could go and how that could impact my business. And then lastly, I think it's about pathways and we'll maybe we'll talk a bit about more about that. But those pathways are important to understand interpolymer or intermaterial competition. So if we could start with maybe a deep dive in the policy side of things. How are governments around the world framing their legislation around the carbon issue? Yeah, this really is is a journey for for the globe in general. Uh, and there's a lot of learning that's happening along the way. I remember when I was a, a, a plant uh, engineer a long time ago and one of the unit foremen wrote in his order book, you know, today's problems are yesterday's solutions. And as you solve one problem, new challenges arise, and it's no different in 
I think this carbon neutrality world, I guess that's really good news for the problem solvers because there's always going to be work because they're always going to have problems. Uh, but to put policy in perspective right now, of all the global emissions around the world, only 10 or 15% really have firm policy in place. You know, a lot of uh, uh, ambition around the world to get to net zero, but really, you know, demonstrating that resolve by enacting true laws is taking much more time than than anyone thought. Now, I'll say EU, they've been the most aggressive on this front. You know, they're true pioneers. They're leading, you know, maybe circular plastic, but as well in, in, in net zero. And they really set key milestones, whether that's on target reductions, uh, and the timing of those. So they're really pushing their industry to become um, net zero in a much quicker way. And even to that regard, you know, they realize us setting laws to constrain our industry uh, could have some negative uh, implications for our competitiveness. And they're putting things in place like the carbon border adjustment mechanism, CBAM as it's called, to try to, to make the playing field a bit equal uh, and let their industry survive. Now on you know other fronts, I think Canada has been pushing some policy. There's a few states in, in the US that have pushed policy, California specifically. Uh, but it's a long it's a long path and it's uh, you know been a challenge for for most uh, policymakers to to nominate things and put those uh, officially in place. Wow, it's it is very complex indeed. What about from the company level? How do you break down different emissions within uh, companies? Yeah, so at a company level, and I think, you know, there had to be some standardization around the world. And, uh, you know, EU has worked on this, EIA, a lot of, you know, associations have worked on how do I define things so we're all talking apples to apples uh, and doing the right comparison. So what they focus, is, focus on is scope scope level of emissions and you know and i'll say one company scope one and two and i'll talk a bit about those could be another company scope three emissions so you really got to understand the perimeter that you're working from when you start talking about emissions from my plant or for my value chain you know how those pieces are put together so when we talk about scope there's scope one it's really direct emissions that are coming from the site proper so that's you know, fuel usage, whether that's coal or natural gas or diesel fuel, you know, how much steam are you using? And then really it's about the chemistry itself. Are you in the process of converting raw materials to a product creating CO2? EO uh, is an example of that. Or, you know, are you combusting it uh, as part of the process? Or, you know, do you have side reactions that may be creating some CO2 that um, is not really the, the molecule of choice, but it's just the way the chemistry works. So direct is really at the site and, you know, that's what, what companies focus on. The second scope is scope two, indirect, and that's really all about electricity that they consume, you know, and sourcing of that electricity becomes a, a key issue. And then scope three, indirect, is really everything else upstream and, and downstream of the site, site proper. So really understanding these different scopes becomes rather rather important for for any given company or any given operating site thanks steve that's a good explanation but how are companies actually doing in identifying their emissions within within these scopes yeah i i think i think for scope one you know most companies 
are pretty rigid in their practices on accounting. So they know the materials that come in, the materials that go out. They know how much energy they use because they've been tracking, you know, energy efficiency for a long time. So they really know what they buy. They know what they use to make their product. You know, there may be some complicated math here and there, but from a scope one perspective, I think most companies are pretty solid. I think they've been working this since this net zero came out uh, and they know well where they're at uh, from their particular sites and maybe they compare site to site. Uh, scope two, uh, the indirect, you know, they really know what their power bill is. So, you know, they know how much electricity they buy and they can convert that to CO2 uh, emissions. Really, the question on on scope two power or electricity is where does the burden of the CO2 really fall? Is it on the power supplier to manage that and then put that in the price? Or do they pass that CO2 emissions on to the buyer and the buyer has to solve that? So, you know, that's one of these assumptions you got to make when you're trying to understand scope one and scope two for a particular site. Now, there's some companies that generate their own power. They have cogen units and they buy fuel to, to make that power. So that really kind of gets rolled into their scope one emissions under that umbrella. Um, but where, where scope two becomes important, it, you know, is really how you look at life cycle, uh, you know, cradle to grave assessments and looking at any particular value chain from raw materials all the way from the, the source upstream uh, down to uh, the finished product that they sell. Um, you know, now I'll make examples, you know, and, and power mix becomes a, a pretty important uh, question, especially by region or country. When we talk about coal, when we talk about natural gas, renewable power, nuclear, you know, different countries have a different mix of electricity and, and that charge needs to be assessed as we're looking at scope two. And as an example, you know, France is highly uh, a nuclear uh, energy for their electricity source. So their CO2 is rather low when you look at the country in general, uh, as opposed to say a China that really is a coal driven economy and most of their power is is produced by coal. So just the difference there, you know, becomes important when you're defining what is the scope to of a particular site in a particular um, geography. From a, a scope three, I think this is, you know, the most complicated uh, of the mix because you really have to understand the upstream sources of your feeds, whether that's, you know, ethane, propane, naphtha, uh, salts or, or, you know, different minerals that need to go into the into the processes feed, understanding catalyst, understanding, you know, gases that you may use, nitrogen, oxygen, you know, all other utilities. Those companies are going to have some level of carbon footprint. And how do you measure that? And how does that, uh, you know, end up in the mix is, is probably the hardest thing for companies to, to define and sort through. Now, what you do is you really put these three scopes, one, two, and three together. And that really is ultimately what kind of defines the life cycle analysis or cradle or grave, you know, for a particular product. Or I'll say maybe nearly, uh, you know, a life cycle because we're less inclined to look scope three downstream you know how that's used what's the the ultimate disposition does it go to a landfill if it's a plastic you know gasoline's burnt in a car so that's a another nuance but you know this is kind of how they put these these pieces together one thing that i keep wondering is there's so many strategies to you know work around uh, those scopes and, and how to tackle that but how do companies ensure that their carbon offsetting strategies is competitive. 
Yeah, I think I think that's really a challenge for them today because there's really this lack of clarity on on policy, as I mentioned earlier. So it's hard to put a cost number on what you're emitting, uh, which really makes it hard to understand if you're competitive or not. And how do I fit in this mix? I guess you can assume if you're in a, a coal-driven power world, you're probably less competitive than someone in nuclear, but even nuclear has its own challenges. So I think it's it's what the industry is trying to understand. Um, but I think what we know in all cases, reducing carbon in some form or fashion is going to increase costs. You know, it's just a matter of what degree is that cost structure um, going to going to move and go up. You know, some countries uh, are using approaches like Europe, which is a trading scheme. So those that are better than the, the targets get credits they can sell. Those that are worse have to buy those credits. And, you know, that's the way they think they can manage through this evolution to net zero. Some are looking at direct taxes. You know, the policy writers are saying maybe we just tax this outright. Others are looking at investments. You know, what does it cost to capture the CO2 I'm emitting and how do I reuse it or store it? Uh, you know, this becomes pretty important um, because in a particular perimeter, there's a, a CapEx component here and an operating component. And can that make me uncompetitive or will that set the bar and the price in the long run yet to be yet to be seen. Uh, others like North America or the US is using the Inflation Reduction Act to really support carbon capture, carbon infrastructure. Uh, EU has an equivalent of that. So it's really government subsidies that are supporting these moves and, and others can do offsets. There's direct air capture, you know, there's planting forests or agricultural drivers. So, you know, are we competitive? We don't know because we don't know the rules. But, you know, I think folks are putting together the different strategies they could take to to get their assets to the point they need to be net zero and, you know, have some idea of the range of costs. And, you know, ultimately, once policy is enacted, we'll have to make these decisions. While we're on the topic of competitiveness and, and cost, what are the different pathways that companies can take within their carbon offset strategies? Yeah, so there is investment, there's offsets, you know, some are going to just pay the tax outright, some are going to spend small amounts of money to make reductions to keep to keep on pace. You know, some are shutting things down around the world. Uh, I know there's companies shutting down refineries to give credit to their, you know, their corporate book on CO2 emissions. But in the end, really looking at competitiveness, I think it's about pathways, you know, one of the four pillars. And it really defines whether their product is going to succeed in the market to solving a consumer's need or, or not, right? And it boils down to, you know, interpolymer competition. Is polyethylene going to be better than polypro or PVC or polystyrene? You know, at one level, they're going to have to assess that. But I think it goes beyond that. Really, it's about intermaterial competition, whether that's paper, glass, aluminum, metal, cement, natural fibers. I mean, all these um, solution providers for consumers are going to have their own cost structure, just the base cost structure of, of making the materials, as well as a CO2 component uh, on top of that. And we know some of these other industries, cement, uh, metal, are, are highly um, carbon intensive with the technology today. Uh, so it really is a question, how are those industries evolving? How are pet chems evolving? And how do I compete long term? Maybe we have tremendous growth in petrochemicals, even though we emit we emit relatively less than other industries and you know we really fill that niche to service 
consumer demand and and that's really what we're trying to trying to define here by our our pathways and and combining all this scope one two and three for multiple um synthetic as well as natural materials mm -hmm. mm. very interesting again so overall how, how is the industry doing and, and what steps are being taken yeah i think i think this is a question uh about urgency and importance uh because a lot of this isn't so urgent because there are no laws and it's hard to you know take action if you really don't know you have a payout or you don't know if you're going to be competitive with the money you spend so i think um, urgency from a perspective of taking action is a, a bit delayed but it really is important for them to understand the different scenarios and how this could play out because investments take time some of these investments aren't small and you know they're two, three, four years after you've engineered and um, approved them within your you know organization. So some take time, and you need a bit of time to meet some of these objectives. And in in Europe, you know they're moving um, pretty quickly on on their pricing outlook and their reduction levels. Um, so most companies though really need some kind of price forecast. How am I going to set a price? And how do I develop a strategy around that? And really, at this stage, it's not easy to do because there's so many degrees of freedom, and uh, you know everyone's doing a lot of things, um, studying a lot of things, but not really putting a lot of steel in the ground. So you know, one thing we we want to do is do a lot of analysis of scenarios. You know, if carbon's 100, if it's 200, 300, 400, and then how do these different um, pieces play out? in these different materials. So that really is, you know, what we're targeting now is build model structures that can can help us get there. And really, you know, understanding their scope one and two, less obvious again for scope three, but, you know, we want to help support the industry in this front. So here at Chemical Market Analytics, how are we working now to support our clients? Yeah, so so right now in you know our market advisory services and the NALO being one of those, you know we we have econo models across all of our value chains, and we've looked at some 350 processes to make uh, you know our products. So we have these inner models. We know fuel consumption. We know steam. We know electricity. We know the process chemistry. Uh, so we have all those components. We can put those together. Uh, really, you know, the next step we're making is really looking at scope three and how do we look at everything upstream and how do we inform our models, which are, you know, designed to look just around a battery limit of our particular um, value chain or a particular molecule. You know, we're, we're looking at those those pieces, but we need to get a scope three in there. So really our, our objective is to create a strategy in this unmapped territory, you know, lack of policy, lack of pricing really to help the clients. How do they decide what to do? Where do they go? Where do they invest? And what's the timing? You know, when do I make that move? So <clears throat> what scenarios do my plans and my product fit and which do they not? And how do I kind of work through um, some probability working with my management saying, you know, I'm at a fatal value chain and it probably has no hope or I've got a growing value chain and we need to spend and anticipate and and be on top of that. So it's really about where does my value chain sit in a, in a broader sense of supplying a solutions for for end use consumers via 
you know, OEMs or, you know, brand owners, et cetera. So it's it's quite exciting and, and a lot going on, but really definitely a lot of a lot of unknowns. And with that, let's wrap up the wrap up. Thank you very much, Steve, for being with here here with us today and sharing those thoughts with our listeners. Good luck in no, the journey supporting the industry and navigating thanks for this having complicated me. It's been, uh, issue. It's been exciting. Sorry. It's been exciting, right? It's a good path, a good journey for us, and, and we're doing good things. To hear from Steve and our other trusted industry experts and industry leaders, join us for the first World Chemical Forum in Houston on September 12 to 14, in cooperation with the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and Factiva. Understand how energy and chemical markets are evolving into a fourth historical, industrial and social revolution with infinite possibilities. Get in-depth insights on geopolitics, climate concerns, shifting trade balances and disruptive technologies, transforming culture, socioeconomics and market paradigms over the 21st century. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a like or a review if you enjoy it. If you have any questions or would like us to cover something more specific, you can send us an email. Until next time. <laughs>